one of my favorite or one of the time periods which I find most fascinating is World War Two. And so I'm watching this documentary right now, World War Two in Color, on Netflix, if anyone's interested. Um, and watching it through this very interesting lens in which it's seen differently. You know, normally growing up, we get taught this, like, there's the villains and there's the good guys. And the villains were, it was Hitler and the Nazis. And the good guys were the allies. And the war was because the villains were bad and they attacked the good guys. That's where the war happened. That's what, what happened. But actually, if it's looked into a bit deeper, uh, then this quickly becomes it quickly becomes apparent that this model of villain and good guys is not not really the actual cause of the war. That's not what allowed the war to happen. Instead, there were these key junctures, these key events throughout that time period, where it was very clear that war could have been averted, could have been if there was greater wisdom and not as much naivety and incompetence on the part of the Allies, on the part of, more accurately, uh, or more precisely, sorry, the leadership of the Allies. So at first, what we've got, the Nazis have already invaded some countries, and it's clear that they're on a warpath, that they want to expand their borders, that they want to conquer everything. It's very clear. It's very clear at this point. So... Those that are a little familiar with it, with this time period, might might be aware that f- for the whole period of the 30s, um, Winston Churchill, who wasn't yet Prime Minister, Winston Churchill had b- been warning against appeasing Hitler. And up until maybe 39, from memory, 1939, you know, the Nazis uh, were breaching were breaching the Treaty of Versailles, which was the treaty that said they had to, they couldn't have an army over a certain size. I think the figure was 100,000 men. They couldn't have an an army larger than this, and uh, Hitler already broke this. He broke this, uh, this part of the agreement. And the Treaty of Versailles was after World War I. Um, It was like a reparations for the German people for for what was seen as them being responsible for World War One, Anyway, so he'd already broken this, and he's already expanding his, his army, he's already the dictator, <laughs> and he's expanding the borders, they inv- invaded a little part, I think, west, west of, west Germany, they ex- invaded that little part, and I think they just invaded a part of Czechoslovakia, when uh, Chamberlain, the the Prime Minister of England at the time, uh, flew over to to Germany, and all the leaders, there were the leaders of the Allies. There was Mussolini. There was Hitler. They were all together. Forgot the name of this. I think Munich. It was in Munich. Um, they had this meeting where they were all together discussing things. And Cha- uh, Chamberlain, he signed a peace agreement with Hitler. And this peace agreement was like, basically like, Hitler will stop. 
It will not invade anything else. All is well. There is now peace between uh, the Allies, or England, Britain, United Kingdom, and, and Hitler. And there will be no more invasions. And, of course, the first chance that he got, Hitler invaded uh, the rest of Czechoslovakia, which was not supposed to happen according to the agreement. So the details here, um, I'm not too familiar with, and I don't think are that important. What's important is actually the context. What's important is sort of the essence of what was happening. So what was happening was you had Chamberlain, and he came in, and you had Hitler. They came in and they signed this agreement, peace agreement. Now, Chamberlain, his error, his mistake, was first of all his pride, um, and secondly, it was assuming that Hitler would, would, what's that saying? The, the pride makes you blind, something like that. You just don't see it. So, he assumed that Hitler would, would live up to his word, would hold to this agreement. That was his assumption. You can see very clearly um, in these documentaries that he came out of that plane and he was very happy with himself. He had signed this agreement. They even said he was treated back, welcomed back in United Kingdom, Britain, as a hero, very briefly, of course, because of this naivety, this naivety that, okay, just because this man signed it, now means we're all safe because he signed this little piece of paper what wasn't taken into account was that Hitler didn't care about signing a piece of paper he didn't care that he had agreed to this he was very happy to break that agreement the first chance he got and so it was very clear watching that that the purpose of that peace treaty from the side of the Nazi party from Hitler's side was to lower the defenses of the Allies further so that they could get them on the back pedal, so that they could get them by surprise. But the only reason that the the Nazis could get the Allies by surprise was because the Allies, or the leadership of the Allies, were naive. They were ignorant. And, I don't know, maybe blinded by pride. Blinded by something. Definitely blind <laughs> to the reality of Hitler expanding and wanting to dominate everything, it's like they didn't want war so bad that they were, they just refused to see that it was coming. And there were so many instances like this. It's quite, I mean, I just love watching these kind of things. If you just watch it and you'll see there's like, oh, it's kind of like a cringeworthy moment. It's like, oh my God, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> so that was one of them. Um, Basically, the error here, as I see it, is trusting Hitler on his word, which is just idiotic. That's so stupid. And, you know, usually, I know these sometimes things, they sound theoretical, just like ramblings of some some someone like me speaking. <laughs> but, I mean, this idiocy, this ignorance, this naivety, whatever you want to call it, uh, led, to, uh, led to the war as it unfolded and led to the loss of lives of 70, over 70 million people because of this error. So this isn't just a theory or philosophy 
uh, or hypotheses or ideas, if you really investigate into it, you see that the cause of this war, the real core or cause of any war, uh, is is not understanding the, nat- the human nature, not understanding how to deal with it, confusion, naivety, ignorance. And if that ignorance was not there, that is, if wisdom was there, if an understanding of human nature was there, then these great errors wouldn't occur. And obviously we can't change the past, but what we can do is learn from it. And to me, I think that's the value of learning about history, is to learn from it. So one of the other key key uh, key moments, which I just learned of in this documentary, but as soon as I watched it, I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> um, was it's actually just in the first episode. So something that's very interesting, uh, which, you know, we don't really know until we get taught it or until we learn it for ourselves, is that, so the Nazis actually had a really weak army. They didn't have a big army. They had tanks, they had modern technology, better tanks than any any other allied forces. However, um, they didn't have many of them. And their troops, so this was, the start was like 1939. So their troops weren't trained. They didn't have many troops. Uh, they didn't have, they'd just come out of World War One as a country. They weren't doing very well. So they actually didn't have a really big armed forces. The allied forces were way bigger were way better trained. And there's this very interesting thing that occurred. Britain and France had just declared war um, on Germany after they'd invaded Czechoslovakia. And Britain sent over uh, like 100,000 troops, 300,000 troops, sorry. And they combined with with the French troops. And they were ready to defend the borders. And Hitler hadn't been prepared for this. And the Nazi troops were actually not a very capable fighting force compared to the Allies. And so they were faced with this knowing that (laughs) if they were faced to face with each other in a battle, uh, the Nazis would lose. And so the Allies had this choice to make. Would they attack the Nazis and end the war right there? Or they could defend their position. And so they chose to defend their position. They chose to dig themselves in, in this defensive line that the French had built. And so they dug themselves in there. And to me, I mean, look, I'm not a general, but I can just say that from my perspective, that was an error. They should have attacked them and they should have gone for them because what they gave them, so this is just a fun little episode of me rambling. <laughs> what they gave them with um, when they waited and dug themselves in a defensive line, they gave them the advantage of now being able to think of what to do. And that's an error. They should have attacked them straight away, give them no room to think and ended it right there they could have if they attacked them so this allied force was much larger they had much better troops way more tanks they could have just 
that's destroyed them, destroyed the German uh, Nazi forces, and ended the war there. In what 1940, I think this was. That was that would have been a very early end to the war. But they didn't. Instead, they chose to dig themselves in and defend this position. So there's this defensive line that they had, which was the assumption was that the German soldiers, the Nazis, would come in through Belgium and Holland and attack via the north of France, and then therefore they would have to pass through this uh, trench, this defensive trench. And if that happened, then the Allies would have won. Sure, they would have probably won. But instead, what happened was this this uh, this defensive trench didn't actually go all the way around France. It had it it ended at this forest, this really dense forest and these fields where there weren't any roads or anything. So it was just assumed that no, nothing could you know no one could go through this part. No one could go through this part, and instead they would attack through the north where it was clear, and you could actually move stuff through. But you can't attack through this foresty, wildernessy area. But what happened instead was so these Germans they just they saw okay we don't have don't have the amount of amount of troops we don't have the, the the quantity or the quality of our forces, but what we do have is speed. We have our our Panzer tanks, and we they can move a lot faster than anything. And we have the Luftwaffe, which is the air force. And so what they decided to do was to use that to actually go around the trench. So instead of going through it, they just went around it and they passed through that foresty area that was assumed that you can't pass through it. And they actually, they enclosed, they circled in the allied forces and they went through, went through and cut them off and confused them basically and the allied forces were in shambles they didn't expect it they didn't know what to do they had horrible communication they didn't even counterattack. they were just constantly on the back foot withdrawing to the channel which is where that famous movie dunkirk occurs where they had to come in and save those 300,000 uh, british troops so, I mean, that's what happened. But what was very interesting was listening to the um, to, to to this moment. What happened was, so the the general of the admiral, whatever you want, to, the commander of the of the French army, had just gotten word from reconnaissance planes. And what happens was the the Nazis they wanted to draw the Allied forces north, so they did a phony attack of Belgium which would draw them out. And that's what they did. But whilst they were doing that, they actually had the, the bulk of their forces in like a bottleneck, in like a traffic jam all the way back into the border of Germany, waiting, waiting for the order to go through that foresty bit and cut through faster than the Allies could think of. So they were waiting. They were just waiting in this huge traffic jam basically huge line of of german uh, infantry and troops and uh vehicles and a reconnaissance pr- plane from france picked it up they saw that there was this huge bottleneck and they reported to this commander and 
It was amazing when I when I saw this. The commander just shrugged it aside. He said, he's literally, li- literally, <laughs> no, that's not possible. It's not true. So here he was, told this thing that was so, that was picked up by the reconnaissance, and just totally threw it aside. Just said, no. No, it's not true. And decided to just ignore it. Do nothing about it. Not double check on it. Nothing. Not even, you know, maybe, oh, that sounds weird. Maybe double check or something. No, just totally ignore it. That's it. And what happened that after he ignored it, they attacked. And that was the biggest mistake that they made. Totally ignoring that. What could have happened was just prior to to that Blitzkrieg attack, so to, prior to cutting through and cutting off the Allied troops, they were sitting in this bottleneck in a very vulnerable position where they could have easily been bombed. So the Allied forces, the British and the French, could have easily got all their bombers and bombed them and wiped them all out very easily and the war would have ended like that. But instead, the the reconnaissance was totally ignored. The Allies were left staggered, confused, didn't know what to do, and they fell back. There were way more of them. There were a much better fighting force, but the leadership was poor. The morale, after being cut off like that, started to go down the drain. <laughs> and so the Nazis very quickly, it was like days, in five days after that, the French Prime Minister called, this is right after um, Churchill got appointed into office, as Prime Minister, the French Prime Minister called him and said, this battle has been lost. I, like this, I think this is quite clear, this battle has been lost. And yet, there was this moment where it could have gone so differently had wisdom been present. Had not this arrogance or pridefulness blinded the general to the obvious, to literally what was picked up by a reconnaissance plane. And so that's the the purpose of this of this little rant ramble <laughs> is to speak about the price of naivety. And first of all, it's very interesting to see World War II through this lens, not through the lens of villain and good good and villain, but simply through the lens of qualities of human nature. And one of the qualities was the maliciousness and wickedness, sure, of Hitler. That's true. But that quality, if it was faced with courage and determination and wisdom, would have been cut off by the Allies very quickly. Cut off. So that it couldn't express itself. So that it couldn't have done all that happened in that name of wickedness. So instead we see that another quality uh, that can be attributed to the war and to the loss of over 70 million lives, not just the loss of, but the, the, the way those lives were lost in the camps and such, can be uh, the other quality that can be attributed to that is 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 ignorance, is naivety, and pridefulness on the part of the Allied leadership, on the part of the Allies. So something interesting is in the war. You know, the troops were just fighting; they were just 
following orders. They were doing what was believed to be right. They were following orders. The troops were actually integrous. They were courageous. They were willing to die for either the Allies or for the fatherland. This is the Nazis. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to be willing to die for something. So the troops can't be faulted. But where the errors are, on the part not just of the Allies, but also of the um, of the Nazis as well, are these qualities of pridefulness, naivety, arrogance. So there's this other example that showcases this. I just find it so fascinating. So the Nazis were driving the Allies back to the channel and they were overwhelming them. And it looked like they were going to they were going to wipe them out, either capture them or slaughter them. 300,000 troops, the whole Allied troops could have just, that's it, then and there, being wiped out. If the army continued to press forth at the rate that they did. But instead, here's a funny situation that occurred. Um, because what happened was, during these this Blitzkrieg, so this very fast attack into France one of the generals was actually making his own decisions. He wasn't consulting anyone. He wasn't even, uh, he actually went against uh, orders at one point and continued to attack uh, instead of waiting for the infantry to catch up when he was in France, this is on the Nazi side, continued the Blitzkrieg to cut through in spite of orders to wait for infantry, continued to. And so Hitler saw that there was, look, there's these people, and they're not following my instructions. Even though what they were doing in making their independent decisions, they were actually uh, bringing victory to the fatherland, to the Nazis. Uh, That's not really what Hitler cared about. What Hitler cared about, at least how I see it, was that there were people not following my orders. And so, just as, just as they were about to wipe out the Allies, completely, done. If they kept going at the rate that they did, they would have wiped them out. But just as they were, Hitler gave the order to stop. He gave, like, an executive order just to stop, stop the attack. And as they were describing in the documentary, the generals on the Nazi side were confused. They're like, why? Why are we... The army generals were confused. Why are we stopping? Why? We, we've got them. We're going to win this. And the way that is presented, it was like Hitler wanted to show these generals, wanted to show everyone that he was still in charge, and so he stopped it. Stopped the attack. And this period in which it was stopped actually gave the Allies, gave the British, time to initiate uh, that Dunkirk, the rescue that occurred at Dunkirk, where all the vessels, civilian vessels, naval vessels came in to rescue all those troops that were stuck there. And whilst it was uh, initially expected that at most they could rescue like 40,000, 50,000 troops, they ended up rescuing over 300,000 troops. Over 300,000 troops. The bulk of the army was rescued at Dunkirk and brought back to Britain when they could have been wiped out. And what didn't... what what stopped that victory from happening from the side of Nazis was to me the pridefulness which says stop (laughs) 
just to prove a point, really. It was like, just to prove that I'm still in charge here, we're going to stop, even though we'd win if, 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 if we just kept going and then we'd sort it out later. Just to prove a point, we're going to stop. And that gave the Allies the time that they needed to, to uh, recover, to rescue those, those troops and eventually win the war. And so on both sides, we actually see here that on both sides, what can be attributed to, to, to first the beginning of the war, to allowing the war to occur as it did, for as long as it did, with the amount of atrocities that occurred, was pridefulness, arrogance, blindness to the nature of, of human nature, to presuming that Hitler would go on his word when he was obviously a tyrant, a dictator, not interested in integrity at all, interested in expanding borders, interested in power for himself. And so obviously if someone's interested in power to them, for themselves, then they're going to they're going to use the veil of a peace treaty to just get ready to attack you and surprise you if you're foolish enough, only if you're foolish enough to fall for that and to lower your defences, which is exactly what Chamberlain did. Britain was not ready for the Nazis. It was not ready at all. And he was a f he, he made a fool of the country. He stepped down as Prime Minister. And that's when Churchill came in, who this whole time had been saying, there's a really cool quote where he says, when will we learn you can't reason with a tiger when it has your head in its mouth. That's a cool quote from a, another movie called The Darkest Hour, which is a cool movie about Churchill and this, this period in time where he was uh, elected. Anyway, but then Churchill came in and, and like invigorated the nation and helped win the war eventually things fell into place more mistakes were made mistakes on the side of um for example the imperial imperials attacking pearl harbor japan attacking pearl harbor and awaking the sleeping giant of america and then america after that incident went in to help the allies to help uh the united kingdom where before they didn't because they signed another treaty. <laughs> so there were all these mistakes on both sides that first led to the beginning of the war and second led, led to, the, to the loss. And it was almost inevitable that the, that the Nazis would lose the war due to the pridefulness, the arrogance of the leadership. So I, I just wanted to share this, this perspective so that we can see that ignorance has a big price. Naivety has a big price. It's not something that is to be taken lightly. Instead, I think it's something to be understood. You know, where does this naivety come from? What could possibly make Chamberlain think that Hitler would go on his word? And to me, it's blindness the blindness of pride he just wanted to get that 
deal so that he would look like the prime minister who brought peace in our times. That's what he was interested in. He was interested in that title and being the prime minister who brought peace to the times. He wasn't actually interested in peace because if he was actually interested in peace, he would be wise enough to see that this deal would not <laughs> would is not a wise deal and would not lead to peace. It would just lead to weakness on the part of Britain. Whilst on the other side, the person who was really interested in peace was Churchill, because Churchill saw that what was needed was to stand up to Hitler, not to give in, not to appease the dictator, but to stand up firmly and say no, <laughs> no, no more. And if that was done early on, the war would have stopped then and there. But it wasn't. Instead, there was this pridefulness, there was this stupidity, there was this incompetence is probably the best word. Incompetence, arrogance, pride, a whole mixture of it which allowed the war to occur as it did, unfold as it did, and all these lives to be lost. And I think it's a very important lesson to learn um, because it teaches us about human nature. It teaches us about our limitations and where we can fall into error. And ultimately the price of that error, if it is done on a, on a grand scale as it was in World War II. These are not light matters. These are matters which lead to people's death. So, I just want to share that one. Just to finish up, with a peace thing. You know. If there's. If there's someone. Coming at you. Barbarians. Very clear. You know all Vikings or something. And it's very clear. And if you understand their culture. You know that they're just coming in to kill you. And slaughter you. And, and if you understand them. If you understand where those people are coming from. You see that that's where they see glory in. And so you'd see that it's a stupid, foolish mistake to try to reason with those people, to try to sign a peace deal because they have no interest in peace. They don't have any interest in peace, otherwise they wouldn't be waging war against you. They don't have any interest in peace. They just want to fight and kill you. And so when someone wants to fight and kill you, what do you do? Do you make a peace deal? you try to reason with them? Or do you stand up? You stand up. And you fight, <laughs> you fight back. <laughs> That's what would lead to peace. Not to give in. And so there you have one of my favorite speeches of all time. Wow, Churchill's speech, which is absolutely incredible. Which, I mean, I don't know if I'm loud with the copyright and stuff, but I'm going to play it anyway, because this is just... An amazing speech. So this is Churchill's speech, which is just amazing. And is the essence. I think it's very it's a very beautiful thing to to hear and to to recognize the truth in it. You know, sometimes what there is to do is to stand up, to stand up for truth. You know, this whole podcast is about joy. And joy doesn't 
to, to be joyous is to be aligned with truth. These are one and the same things. And to be aligned with truth, it means that you stand for it, no matter what, even if it means death. You say, I don't care. This is the truth, and I'm going to stand for it. You don't have to hate people to stand for the truth, but you can just stand for the truth because of the sake, for the sake of standing for truth. And so you can see in the case of Hitler, standing for truth means standing for integrity and saying, we will not take this. We're not going to give in to your demands. We're going to fight until the end. And so here we have uh, Churchill speech. It's just amazing. Uh, this one. When Napoleon lay at Boulogne for a year with his flat bottom boats and his grand army, he was told by someone there are bitter weeds in England. There are certainly a great many more of them since the British Expeditionary Force returned. Sir, I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made, as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once more able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war, and to outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. At any rate, that is what we are going to try to do. That is the result of his Majesty's government, every man of them. That is the will of Parliament and the nation. The British Empire and the French Republic, linked together in their cause and in their need, will defend to the death their native soil, aiding each other like good comrades to the utmost of their strength. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. So that was that speech. I just think we live in a very interesting time where we've forgotten about the past and we've forgotten about what it took for us to be here and to be able to complain about war and to be able to complain about the things we have. And so it's, at least I see it as it's it's always nice to go back and to, to study, to look at the past understand it understand what led to what 
and learn from these mistakes so that they don't happen again. And these mistakes are happening again. There are many mistakes that are happening again and have not been learned. Mistakes that, that can be seen in, in groups like the Marxist groups and socialist groups. Who well, I've seen personally on, on, on like university campuses. I still see their posters all over Melbourne. You know, that little red book, Marxism. It led to the death of millions, tens of millions of people. And yet again, it has not been learnt. And the naivety and incompetence creeps forth to say this time it will be different. It was not done right the other time. And yet, I don't know, when, when, whenever it will be learnt is whenever it will be learnt. Purpose here is not to condemn, but simply to bring awareness to this, to this, to this fact that history is to be learned from, if we are to. To not repeat the mistakes of the past, and if we are to remember what it means to, what integrity means, what peace means, peace does not mean. Peace does not mean peace rallies. It's not what peace is. Peace is a comes from understanding. It comes from understanding others. It comes from facing life as it is. Coming to understand where other countries are coming from. To come to understand the threats and how to deal with them. Not to wave peace flags at people not interested in peace. If they're not interested in peace, then they're not interested in peace. The Middle East isn't interested in peace, or else it'd be at peace. So, peace ultimately comes from understanding. So you can be at peace, so that you can deal with things as they are, not as you'd like them to be. I just think there is a lot of naivety and incompetence. And... Having looked at the past and seen where that leads, I think it'll be nice if that naivety and incompetence was brought to light and corrected through right understanding. And then this is what will lead to greater compassion, and this is what will lead to peace. Not waving flags. So just something interesting just to note about. Because a lot of times the truth is uncomfortable. So... An uncomfortable truth might be to hear that peace peace rallies don't really help. So take, for example, anyone, let's say there's a peace protest. Even if, let's even say that it's done peacefully. So what helps to realize is that anyone that's already interested in peace, they don't need a protest or they don't need a rally because they're already interested in peace. But the people who aren't interested in peace are only going to be antagonized and riled up by a peace protest talking about peace. What is more helpful is to simply understand the humans, the differing perspectives, and to understand how to deal with those differing perspectives in effective ways. You know, for example, how would you deal, going back to World War II, how would you deal with someone who is a tyrant who is not interested in peace, would you deal with them by giving them a peace treaty? Or would you deal with them effectively 
by standing up to them and saying, if you want war, we'll give you a war. And we're willing to, to die. <laughs> and you're not going to get away with anything anymore. Because we can see in World War II, what happened was it was appeased. It was an appeasement that led to it. It was allowed to happen. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened because the Allies were far, far superior in number, in strength. They could have easily ended it if they wanted to. They weren't blinded by pride. And so we, we too can simply in, in examine ourselves and say, where, where am I blinded by pride? Where am I blinded by arrogance? Where am I? Where, where am I coming from that might be coming from a place of naivety or incompetence? Um, and it's also helpful to recognize that well, that this incompetence comes from innocence, this naivety. Uh, it comes from ignorant, ignorance, which is innately innocent because if something was, what is naive? It means to not know any better. And so if we did know better, we would know better. So we can be more gentle with ourselves and say, well, where might I be incompetent? Where might I be? coming from a place of naivety. And to simply ask that question and see what comes up. We'll see what we learn about ourselves. At the same time that it, it's coming from a place of ignorance, uh, and innocence, therefore, such as in the case of Chamberlain, at the same time, you know, integrity is to say, although that's true, I know what that leads to. I can see that what incompetence and naivety in the face of a great threat leads to is the death of tens of millions of people in the case of Chamberlain. So whilst the innocence was there, at the same time, that's what it led to. And so we can ask, is that what I want? Is that what I want? Or do I want to instead seek to understand everything as it is instead of trying to make things as I'd like them to be? Instead of being blinded by it, may I be willing to see my pride and therefore not be blinded by it. You know, I am growing in awareness of the Achilles heel of mine, which is arrogance and pride. But because it's in awareness, it's uh, it's not a blinded one because I am aware of it, increasingly aware of it. There's still more to be aware of. Uh, because of this, it's not, it's like, it's my Achilles heel, but I get to cover it up. I know that it's there and I can now watch out for it. But if we bl if we are blind to the pride, if we are blind to the pride, we don't see it and it works in the shadows. And so we have to be willing to face the uncomfortable facts. If they seem uncomfortable, we face them. And we face whatever is required to be faced. Uh, because that's what it means to stand for truth. And that's what it means to live in a place of joy. It's the joy of knowing that you stand for truth no matter what and the joy of knowing you know if it comes to it then i'll die for truth and so there's nothing that can stand in my way because whatever is necessary to go through is what will be gone through for the sake of truth for the sake of upholding and uplifting life whatever is necessary is whatever is necessary as that churchill speech said is a very powerful speech and for anyone interested and familiar with the map of consciousness which i do mention here another interesting perspective is to see that chamberlain that neville chamberlain uh calibrated 
below 200, calibrate at 190. That's why I say it's coming from pride and uh, naivety. Calibrated below 190. However, Churchill calibrated at 505. Churchill calibrates very, very high. The heart of a lion. The words used to describe him by Hawkins. He's like activated the heart of the lion of the British Empire to fight to the death if that's what it takes. That is integrity. That is where joy comes from. That's where happiness comes from. It is not different to total alignment with the truth. So, I hope you enjoy these little ramblings. That was just a little episode I wanted to make for anyone to listen that they want to listen. And I'll see you in the next one.